This Sunday we begin the green season in earnest. Last Sunday there was a pause after Pentecost to talk about the doctrine of the Trinity and its essential aspect in our common life together, even though, as Dr. Karl Rahner, the great Jesuit theologian, said a long time ago, if the doctrine of the Trinity disappeared tomorrow at 8 a.m., not a lot of people would miss it. (laughs) But it is essential, and we're going to talk about that issue in a couple of minutes. The Green Sundays, over the last two or three years, I've said practically every Green Sunday that I've preached that this season is about the nature, cost, ways, and means of Christian discipleship. Uh, This past year, uh, a book was published by uh, an Episcopal deacon from the Diocese of Iowa named Vicki Black called Welcome to the Church Year an introduction to the seasons of the Episcopal Church. And she says that the Green Sundays are about our relationship with God, our relationship with Jesus Christ and with one another through our prayers, the sacraments and the life of the body of Christ, the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives, and the church and its mission. I mention this because the readings for each week are going to sort of talk maybe about all those things off and on. And the reading that I wish to preach on this Sunday is the epistle from Galatians. And I thought about this because we're going to be reading from Galatians for the next four weeks. And it's an opportunity to talk a little bit about a theme that's been on my mind for the past week for some reason, and that is what is essential and what is not essential. And to say some things to you about Paul's outlook and why it's important in that discussion, and more to the point, what Paul is coming to as the result of his process of conversion that he has gone to and how it has had an impact on the way he's understood his emotional, spiritual, and mental states as he engages in his mission. So let me say some general things about the epistle to the Galatians. Uh, When I was in seminary, actually it's still true, I would guess that the reigning uh, point of view among New Testament scholars is that out of the 13 letters in the New Testament, more than any other writer, 13 uh, pieces of uh, literature are attributed to Paul, but the undoubted Pauline letters, that is to say that are Pauline beyond dispute, are about seven. And this means that uh, Galatians is one of the undoubted Pauline letters. It is very, very important on a number of levels. It provides us autobiographical information about the Pauline chronology, about what he did and when he did it, and an understanding of how he understood his mission and what it was that was important to him with regard to how we understand the practice of Christianity and its importance. Paul wrote this epistle somewhere between uh, 48 A.D. and 54. 
somewhere in there, about 14 years after his conversion. His conversion was in 33 AD, the same year Jesus was crucified, rose again from the dead, and ascended into heaven. He was not an eyewitness to those events, but had an experience of the risen Christ, heard Christ speak to him, and changed direction in his life as the result. Now, the interesting thing here is that this account today that we read is his account of what happened at his conversion. And it does not agree with the account in the book of Acts, which is the one that we read most of the time. The one we read in the book of Acts was written later than Paul's letter to the Galatians, probably somewhere in the mid-70s or early 80s. And Luke, our patron who wrote the book of Acts, is at pains to say, you know, we had differences here, but Paul and the Jerusalem people, they're really on the same page. So that's what we want to make sure uh, that you understand about all of this. Well, you know what? There's probably some of you sitting here who eschew controversy and conflict and find it hard to believe that uh, it's uh, possible to be part of a religious tradition where we learn that there were plural views on some of the deep things of Christian faith and life. But the biblical writers knew this, and they were okay with it. The people who formed the canon of the New Testament, which is the fancy term for the books of the New Testament that we have in the order that we possess them now, knew that all of the things that were written in there did not agree. And rather than gloss over the differences, they felt it was a sign of the authenticity of the witness of the people of God to reproduce these sacred texts as they were written, as a testimony of their veracity. There are four Gospels, and they don't agree. And everybody was fine with it, you know? And Paul doesn't agree with Luke. And it turns out later, we may read this in Galatians in the next four weeks, Peter shows up in Galatia, and he sits down with the Gentiles, and when he's by himself with Paul, he goes ahead and eats with the Gentiles. And then some Jerusalem people come out and visit Peter and remonstrate with him because he's eating with the Gentiles. And Paul rebukes Peter in public for caving. So he wasn't timid, was he, about this? So here's the thing. Here's the situation on the ground. Galatia, 48 AD. Uh, by the way, Galatia does not mean a church in Galatia. It means a group of churches in Galatia. Most probably the northern part of this Roman province that is in Asia Minor that was reconstituted in 25 BC 
and that Paul now has missionized and founded congregations in the northern part of Galatia. So he leaves these congregations and goes about his missionary journey. And in his absence, some Christians arrive in the Galatian congregations who are what we would now call Jewish Christians. And they say to these Gentile communities, which was Paul's principal focus in his missionary efforts, non-Jews, Paul may have told you that it is not necessary for you to keep the Jewish law in order for you to be saved, but we're telling you that you do. And that means that all the men in this Gentile Christian community have got to be circumcised. Ooh. And it means there are some other aspects of the Jewish law that you're going to need to keep. Now here's what Paul had arrived at. He was a Pharisee. And as the result of his conversion experience, he began to have an internal conversation with himself about what was essential and what was non-essential. And what he came to was, if you're a Gentile, you have no experience of the Jewish tradition, you do not need to keep the law to be saved. You need to believe in Jesus Christ to be saved. And if you accept him, you do not have to do this. If you're Jewish and you accept Jesus and you wish to do these things and continue to do these things, and by the way, we have no evidence that Paul stopped doing those things when he was in communities where they did them for the rest of his life. But you do not need to do this to be saved. It is not necessary for you to do this. Can you imagine somebody coming from the Pharisaic party of Judaism who had, shall we say the least, rather rigid views about what was necessary to come to this conclusion? It must have caused an enormous emotional, spiritual, and mental upheaval for Paul and what it was that he had gone through in his life and in his converting process. How am I now going to make sense of this? You don't have to do it. Well, here's another thing. Christian people from the New Testament period onwards began to have conversations with one another, different parts of the Christian world, different aspects of this. They began to have some understanding of how it is that you should practice Christianity and what is essential and what is non-essential. And the Greek word for that is adiaphora. Things indifferent. Now, everybody has a little list about the difference between 
in different things and what is essential. For Paul, what was essential here was to say to the Judaizers, as they're called in Galatia, you do not have to do this or you should not be requiring this of these Gentile congregations. And I'm willing to go to the mat over this. It is not necessary. But the issue of what is adiaphora and what isn't continues. In the Episcopal Church, as some of you are aware, there have been some kerfuffles over the last few years about a number of things that, in my view, are adiaphora. Things indifferent. And often the rap has been uh, applied to those who have uh, uh, contended that this was, so, this was so as being people who wish to completely throw the baby out with the bathwater. You know, because you believe that it is important that we have full inclusion in the church's life, that it is important that there be justice and equity in the world for a lot of things, that uh, it is important that in some ways we believe in the Trinity, that the bread and the wine become Jesus' body and blood, that we believe that the creeds are a fairly good expression of what the church believes in summary, and that we have no intention of throwing those out, whether any of you believe them or not. That argument we're not going to have. We are going to have an argument over whether priests may marry, over whether women can be bishops and priests, over whether or not gay and lesbian people can have full access to the whole life of the church. That's adiaphora. Now, Paul came to this conclusion, uh, I'm sure, in a very difficult way for him. It must have been sheer hell to have to now realize that he was looking at things in a different way. Think about your own life. Most of us have our own internal debates, usually about trivial things with regard to what is essential and what is non-essential. And I've seen as a pastor people become sick or crazy around things like that. In the screw tape letters, do you remember when Wormwood gets a letter or writes a letter to somebody and he said, we've got Mrs. Ludlow just where we want her. All she wants is the perfectly boiled three-minute egg, the perfectly buttered slice of toast. And if she doesn't have it, she's in an absolute tailspin, right? You and I spend a lot of time on that in our own lives, don't we? This issue of what is adiaphora and what isn't adiaphora doesn't just have to do with religious matters. It has to do with our public discourse. It has to do with matters of social policy. And you know, it's true that reasonable people can disagree with one another about this. But I don't know about you, but I'm feeling a little edgy these days about the vehemence of the public debate and the recriminations and the party spiritedness that is in some ways uh, to me overweening.
you know what, maybe, maybe it's a cyclical thing. People are fond of showing you political cartoons and articles in American newspapers uh, when we became a country in the 18th century and the kind of personal assassination and uh, rumor mongering and all of that kind of stuff was rife then. But there just seems to be something now, I don't know, maybe it's because we're on a 24-7 news cycle and stuff gets circulated so quickly. I may be one of the only people who thinks we've just gone too much into Tiger Woods. You know, enough, enough. So those are the things that we figure maybe adiaphora, and for some people are not adiaphora, and that's a problem. I guess the lesson and why Paul is important in this particular case, he's going to start talking about this in some detail over the next three weeks, is that you and I in our own life have to determine what is adiaphora and what isn't. And we have to be generous with people in our own community who are struggling with what is adiaphora and what, what isn't. And yet at the same time, like Paul, come to the point where there is, to use the Latin term, you are in status confessionis. You need to stand up for what it is you believe is right. And so in the midst of this conversation, we draw a line in the sand. And Paul, we will see in Galatians, is going to draw a line in the sand. My own personal belief is the lines in the sand should be as few as possible. But there should be some lines. So think this week about the lines in the sand, in your own life, in your relational life, and in everything that you do to make the world a place where it is easier for people to be good. Amen.